happy Juneteenth. June 19th celebrates the day that the Emancipation Proclamation was read in Galveston, Texas. Now, this happened on June 19th, 1865. The Emancipation Proclamation had been delivered on January 1st, 1863, two years earlier, but it took two and a half years to make it to that last reading in Galveston, Texas. Now I'm going to read a tiny bit of the Emancipation Proclamation, and maybe you can let me know if you think that we've lived up to this. Or maybe let's put it another way. If you think that we have lived up to this, I highly suggest watching Ava DuVernay's documentary 13th. It's free on Netflix. All persons held as slaves within any state or designated part of the state shall be thenceforward and forever free. And the executive government of the United States, including military and naval authority thereof, will recognize and maintain the freedom of such persons and will do no act or acts to repress such persons or any of them in any effort that they may make for their actual freedom. So I wanted to celebrate Juneteenth this year by showcasing some black excellence, some proud black witches whom you can pay to help you guide you through this thing called life. I want you to welcome with me and give your heart and your ears to Caress Scarborough, Lindsay Brainin and Monifa Walker. Happy Juneteenth. You aren't being a proper woman, therefore you must be a witch. You must be a witch. Hi, Caress. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Your smile is lighting up my little office here. <laughs> and I also want to say a thank you and a shout out to Chelsea Hamlet for introducing us. Bless her. I know you're listening, Chelsea. Hello. We love you. So um, how are you? How are you? I am wonderful, Amy. Thank you so much for having me on your show. And Chelsea, thank you so much for connecting us because, yes, I know you're listening. <laughs> yeah, I, I know your platform is fledgling. You just sort of changed lanes, and we'll get into that. So definitely, awesome. listeners, we're going to uh, mention Caress's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and you can immediately go and follow all of those to get those numbers rocking. So, thank you. As I said, I'm going to start by reading your coach bio because it's so, it's so perfect that I, I, I mean, okay, so here we go. Cress Scarborough has been coaching and consulting for 25 years with a focus on sexuality and relationship coaching for the past five years. She is a co-founder and principal coach of Mindful and as a sidebar, that is your current main focus, um, as well as I <clears throat> as well as a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant. Caress is a proud, black, queer, disabled, non-monogamous leather woman who advocates for BIPOC, LGBTQ+, poly, kink, and disabled communities in every aspect of her life and business. Yes. <laughs> yes, that is me. Yeah, I mean, before I ask my follow-up question to that, do you have anything you want to 
say about that bio? I assume you wrote it yourself, so. <laughs> I did write it myself. I did. And the only thing it leaves out is that I'm also proud mama bear to six humans. I'm lucky enough to have six humans who call me mom. Yeah. And you told me that you're sort of like happily and proudly entering your crone phase, which really... I am. I am. Man, this is a, a different change of energy for me. And it's all about sharing the wisdom and growth that I've accumulated over the years. It feels almost like parenting the entire world. And all of the work that I'm doing right now gives me that feel and fills me up in that same way. So if one of our listeners booked a session with you, what, I mean, I know you do lots of different things, but what might that look like? What, what might someone who hires you for a consultation find with a session? Mm, well, the first thing we do is a discovery call. And the discovery call is me gifting my time to help the potential client figure out where they need coaching. And even if coaching is a good fit for them right now, because we've, we've got a mental health crisis in the world right now. So I ally with some very friendly, I mean, very inclusive uh, counselors and therapists to work with in conjunction with when I need to. So after the discovery call, we set up a plan. We collaborate to determine what are your goals? What are we going to work toward? And then we work on them hard. We hit them hard. I am fierce, compassionate, and loving. And I, I take no crap. So <laughs> <laughs> that's I mean, I think fierce and compassionate need to be sort of both both hands of, of the human. They do. They yeah. do. Um, it, I've I've got a few clients now that are finding that uh, yeah, working with me can be a challenge. I stretch, I demand growth, but I'm also willing to flex. I'm also willing to flex like a willow tree. Bend but do not break. Exactly. <laughs> That's wonderful. And so um, in, your, in your client history, like do you, what's your favorite example of a breakthrough that you've helped to tease out of someone? Mm, my favorite thing to do right now is working with people who are brand new to non-monogamy mm, okay. and really opening their eyes to the fact that this is a lifestyle that you build intentionally intentionally. I would love to have the challenge of applying some of those same concepts though to someone who's committed to monogamy because it's all about intentionality and being honest and transparent with your partner no matter how many partners you have. Yeah and tell what how does leather woman work into this? Ah, well, <laughs> I, I am a kinky individual. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I am a kinky individual and I espouse the values of the leather community which is also rooted in the queer community. And, you know, this just happens to be June, so we're ha celebrating Pride. Happy Pride, all my queer Happy witches. Happy Pride, everybody. <laughs> and so more specifically, today is Juneteenth, yes. and you are a Texan. So I am. I am. <laughs> so, I am. Native of Austin for 25 years. And so June, Juneteenth is something that started in Texas. So what does is, what is Juneteenth look like in, in Texas? Do you celebrate? Is there? It is celebrated, but the celebrations have changed over the years. And this year, the celebration is very likely going to be continued protest. Mm -hmm. Sadly. 
sadly. We've not made enough moves in a positive direction towards equity race-wise in the U.S., and that's, that's just where we are. Um, when I moved to Texas, though, and first heard about Juneteenth, I thought, so we're celebrating receiving the news late that slaves are free. <laughs> and uh, just as an aside, um, I, I did a little bit of an intro um, so our listeners know what Juneteenth is and, and how it started and where it came from. But I do want to point out that, yeah, two and a half years, I think, passed between the original yes. proclamation and the yeah, time that it got to Texas. 30 months. Yeah. 30 months. And, and I get it. I get it. You know, we didn't have Facebook. We didn't have email then. I get it. But it seemed odd to me that we would start a celebration based on receiving the news late. And it didn't take me long to learn and understand that it's not that we received the news late. It's that we received the news. We received the news. That is what we are celebrating on Juneteenth every single year. And I and my family are planning to celebrate in traditional Texas style with some barbecue and some red soda. Typically, people will drink Big Red, but I'm not a caffeine person. So I'm going to probably have some strawberry something. Some kind of red soda. Uh, I I had no idea that that is that like a component, like a general component of Juneteenth. It is. It is. It is. It's traditionally part of the food served on Juneteenth. And the history of having barbecue on Juneteenth goes back to the, the very first Juneteenth celebration. Because... The, the act of barbecuing, of cooking meat over, an open, over a pit with open fire, is an African form of cooking as well. So there you go. Back to our roots. He <laughs> has roots. So speaking of roots, you told me that you have been on, uh, you called it the witchy path, I think, for 30 plus years. Can you tell me about that path and how your ancestry was a part of that path? Oh my goodness. Yes. Yes. My ancestry was actually not a part of that path until very recently. Um, even though, you know, cause I, I grew up in a, the very traditional African-American family where it's all about church and you go to church all day, every Sunday and Christian church. Yes. Christian. Yeah. So as soon as I graduated from high school and moved out and realized that I was free to explore the thoughts in my own head and heart, that was when I started down my own witchy path. And it was all predicated on the fact that the Christian faith did not feel very welcoming to me as a woman, that my voice did not have value. And in fact, I had people telling me that if I spoke up, I would be expelled from the church. Hmm. Not really empowering, not really empowering. So my path has included some time in Dianic Coven's, um, a, a brief toe dip into Asatru and, and decided, no, not, not quite me, not quite me. And settling into a, a more eclectic family tradition that I've since handed over to my, my sibling from another mother who is now running that group. And now my focus is on the magic of food. That is where standing in the kitchen, hearth and home, that's my mama bear energy and feeding my family, preparing food to nourish their bodies and their souls is where my magic is from. And I'm also realizing that was my grandmother's magic. So I have inadvertently come full circle and stepping away from Eurocentric paths back into 
the, the, the element that feels most natural for me that also resonates with my culture. And I know that you also eventually became a coven leader. Can you talk I about did. that? Mm-hmm. I did. That was the family trad that I have since handed over because in, in that tradition, um, the high priestess must be still in the mother stage. So as I got closer to crone, it was appropriate for me to step aside. It was appropriate for me to step aside. But that is a tradition that, oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. My initiation in there was oh, 25 years ago. No, 26 years ago. Wow. And what did it entail? What kind of initiation did you go through? Oh, you're taxing my memory here. Oh, <laughs> 25 years later. Okay. Wait, if it pops up in your head later on, we can come back to it. How does, I mean, you said food magic. And, and again, that relates back to barbecue. You know, if we think we can easily think of barbecue as food magic. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. And, does. You, and, does. and are there any other practices that you do? Like, do you do spell work or do you find that, like for me, I've found that like, the longer I've been a witch, the less it is about like doing spells and more about just like a total change integration into my general life. It's you know? about the steps that I take into the world every day. I, I don't think it's, I think I've, oh, wow, wow. It has probably been over 15 years since I actually cast a spell. And I mean, I, I can't even say that I deliberately cast circles anymore, but they seem to always be present with me. So it's just about being in the world. Mm, and knowing that words are spells and yes. actions are spells and yes. that everything we do with the correct intention. intention, intention, intention. So now I hand the microphone to you. What, if this were your podcast, what would we be talking about right now? What's the most important message that you think you need to deliver today? Mm. The most important message that I need to deliver today is feel free to work your craft according to where you live and what your culture of origin is. Please, all my witches of color out there, do not be afraid to be labeled a bruja or a vudan. These are valid and valuable paths. Do not let them be lost to history because history is written by the colonizers. Yeah, and that's what re- my podcast partner, Risa, and I have been doing. We spoke to uh, Marisa de la Pena, who told me specifically that um, decolonization is a, is a work that's done by people who have been colonized historically. Unsettling is the work that settlers descendants of settlers have to do because the work is not the same the work is different so this whole missing witches project has been risa and i unsettling our own we we encountered magic in our own way and then sort of went looking and we're not particularly happy with what we found in terms of weird micro white supremacy or a lot of spiritual bypassing and so i definitely think that um uh, the work needs to be done by everyone, obviously, and the work is different. So how does it look? How, how is decolonizing your practice going? It is a slow and affirming process. 
And it's slow because I'm recognizing and honoring my need to release a lot of the things that I was taught as the one true way to do things. (laughs) And it's really so much about, right now actually, it is the struggle to find literature about cultural practices, magical practices from Africa that are written without bias. I can find lots of things, but there are many, many pieces that contain information, but also contain significant anti-Black bias. And that's not helpful. It's certainly not helpful, especially if you're interested in magic. I yeah. feel like it's, it's the antithesis of any kind of hierarchical thinking. It is. It is. And my sister root workers are notably closed-mouthed about their work. And I get it. There are lots of reasons to be closed-mouthed about it. So I guess I can put this out there. I'm looking for resources. If you have resources, hit me up. If you don't have resources, we can have a conversation and keep trying to find those resources because we need to get these things out into the world. Yeah. We've been in the shadows too long. And, and demonized, demonized. I mean, yeah. look like when, when, I mean, recently, again, we've been having this amazing resurgence because black witches are writing books that are getting published and are, yes. are, are no longer being ignored. This is something we are obviously continuing to work on, you know, but things we've been talking about for a very long time, right. That the resources are out there that the resources are out there and they are starting to take front and center. Um, But it's especially important that um, uh, the white people read books by black people and buy books by black people. It is part of that unsettling work. We all play a role in unsettling, in developing truly intersectional allyship and recognizing that it takes the entire village to solve these kinds of problems. This is a problem belonging only to one part. I just remembered. Um, the, um, all of Western history, the um, message about voodoo that we have been getting is that like horror movie mm-hmm. message, you know, and, and voodoo dolls and sticking pins and, you know, bloodlust and, and, you know, and not, um, n- um, not irrelevantly, black magic. Yes. And the demonization of everything black, but in particular, yes. black magic. Black and, magic in particular, yes. And, and so we're working against all of these, like every movie that we've seen since they invented we movies. We're working against all of this. And so we have to push back. And it has to be a hard push, but please, everybody, take it at your pace. Do not shock your nervous systems to the point that you become unable to absorb more information. I would rather you take it slowly and take it all in than shock your system and stop after one book and don't grow further. Mm. It's not a speed read. It's a a close read. It is a close read. This is a marathon and not a sprint. Even for me personally, this is a marathon. I have almost 50 years of unlearning to do. And I'm looking forward to learning and absorbing and embodying in my next 50, as well as 
putting out what I've learned and what I've experienced into the world so others can speed their process. Well, how do you react or, or feel about the term black girl magic? Hmm. It is well-intentioned, in my opinion, but it is also exceedingly harmful because it does place black women in particular in a stereotypical position of having magical powers to absorb and absolve all the ills that come their way and does not recognize our legitimate human needs for rest, recovery, rejuvenation, respect, and love. And I think that that's um, what I probably am working more on in, in terms of my own, you know, growth is, um, is fetishization over, you know, and it's the same thing that we saw with the women's suff suffrage movement where women were elevated, quote unquote, I'm using scare quotes. Oh, women are too good to be sullied with politics. Mm -hmm. And so elevation can be a, a dehumanization. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah, and a, so form of objectification and if it's a consensual relationship and a kinky thing and that's your your jam go for it go for it <laughs> do not non-consensually objectify anybody yeah obviously if we're if we're in a in a communicative and consenting environment these these rules can be adjusted but <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that's an that's an excellent perspective um because again like i say the dehumanization has been very real uh, and it's taken many 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 forms for some people again it's like the pushing down the, these these people aren't people these are machines you know these people aren't people they're they're magical sorceresses or whatever yeah and i and i hadn't put that together thank you so much chris you are very welcome it's also <laughs> it's it is such a well-known phenomena that it's even a trope in media the magical Negro, apologies for the word, that's the term that is used in the literature. The, the one, because we've seen it, we've seen it. Hundreds, in thousands. All the times, there's that one black character who just miraculously makes it to the end of the movie, the end of the slasher flick, and they're not injured until the very last second. And mm-hmm mm -hmm. yeah. or the or the custodian with the with the magical power who appears in yes. the film for two scenes and yes. is, is the only black face in the entire movie just to cast that little spell that or spell. whatever speak those words of wisdom that change the impact character's path mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i know that you know this and i know that all of our listeners know this Black people are a whole people with a whole complex situation going on with feelings and thoughts, emotions. <sighs> we are beyond the tropes. We are beyond the tropes. Yeah, and that's part of the reason that I wanted to include three different voices. Well, four if you include me, but let's not. Three different voices. Um, uh, Vancouver, Canada, uh, Austin, Texas, yourself, and London, England. Because I really want to illustrate that, I mean, just like there's no one definition of witch, there's certainly not one definition of blackness or, right. or, or one experience of encountering being a witch. Or Exactly. Exactly. And again, to all my witches of color, do not let anyone tell you that you are too dark, too light, too anything 
to work your craft the way it feels authentic and genuine to you. I mean, what, what more could there possibly be to say? So let's get into, I'm sure all of our listeners right now have fallen in love with you the same way that I have. So how can they get in touch with you? How can they pay you? Awesome. Awesome. Yes. My website is mindfulpassions.co, not .com, .co. And you can find me on social media as at caressmindful on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Do you have any parting words of encouragement? Maybe you seem like a very encouraging person. (laughs) (laughs) Words of encouragement for the witches out there or the people who are just looking around and starting to feel exhausted and hopeless. Oh my goodness. Oh, be well, y'all. Rest is resistance. I'll say it again. Rest is resistance and you cannot fill anyone else's cup if your own is empty and i say this because i have been in that space of being tired the dei consultancy does that but it is important work that needs to be done and we all need to lend our voices to getting these messages out there to stop oppressing people on any basis whether it's the color of their skin or the way they walk in the world spiritually. Rest, rejuvenate, and come out ready to advocate. I mean, what more is there to say? Beautiful. Thank you so much. Hit us with your links one more time for the back row. Mindfulpassions.co is the website. And on all, well, not all social media, but the, the big three, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at caress mindful and you will find we will find all of this stuff in the show notes and also on all of our social media when we post about this episode happy juneteenth caress please email me anytime you have anything to say and you can cut any cart cart open it's uh, just let me know this has been a joy and a pleasure and i will have you back on this show any day of the week (laughs) and i I have some friends that i can bring with me because you know there are other witches of color who practice very differently than i do and have different perspectives here in austin so i am happy 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 to continue the engagement introduce me this has already been so beautiful and wonderful that I can't wait to meet your circle. (laughs) Thank you again. Happy Juneteenth. Thank you so much. Happy Juneteenth. Happy Emancipation Day, everybody. Yay! Liberation! Freedom Day! That's right. I just want to show you something before I let you go. Thank you again. Um, Is this picture okay for me to use? It is. It is. Great. I just wanted to get your permission for to use your likeness. (laughs) That was that picture was actually from a photo shoot that I gave myself as a birthday gift last year. What a wonderful thing to do for yourself. It was. It was. I realized I didn't have any professional portraiture of me. And I worked with a queer photographer here in Austin. So Jen is amazing. Creatrix Photography is the studio. And we did a long shoot that included headshots, portraiture, and boudoir. Ooh. (laughs) Well, 
Well, I, w- I won't put those ones in the show notes, but I'm, I imagine that was like a beautiful and freeing experience. Oh, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And you really trusted your photographer, obviously. Yes. So if you, yes. um, do you, you said creatrix, I'm just going to yes. make a note creatrix right now. Creatrix photography. Creatrix. And actually, um, and I, they're, that's, that's their wedding business. That's okay. their wedding business. Their other portraiture business is Avery Atelier. A-T-I-E-L-I-E-R, I think. I, I live in Quebec, so my French is pretty good. I think I guess that. Is much better than mine. <laughs> but I, I already forgot the first word you said. What? Avery? Avery. Atelier. Did I say that correctly? Am I saying Atelier correctly? It, you're perfect. <sighs> Atelier. Yeah, you got it. I'm impressed because my polyglotism has been uh, limited to Asian languages. So okay. I've, I've never really learned much. Well, you know, I've lived in Texas for years and California for years. So I have a smattering of Spanish, but at, at various times in my life, I've been fluent in Japanese or Turkish. So what a strange mix. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> how did that come up? Do you, I mean, how- I apparently did not care much for language before we moved to Turkey when I was three. Moved to so Yes. I'm a, I, fr- I am from a military family. Okay. Okay. That make that now it all makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I was living in Turkey two years after they had a civil war. 1974, I was living in Turkey and we did not live on the base because my father didn't have enough rank for us to merit a house on the base. So we lived in an apartment in the local community. So all of the kids that I played with were Turkish so, of course, I had to become fluent in Turkish in order to play and navigate my world. I, I, you'll have to come back on the show because now <laughs> I'm just like, I need another two hours with this person. <laughs> we have wow. talked about the fact that I brought my kids up with enough paganism that at eight years old, my youngest son asked me, he says, Mom? He said, yeah. He said, do Christians have any of their own holidays or do they just steal them from other religions? He said, great question, son. (laughs) That was my response. Yeah. 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 You know, the child shall lead them. Yes. Yes. They are amazing humans. They are absolutely amazing humans. This is also the same kiddo who came to me and said, you know, because we're, uh, sci-fi fans as well says you know the force is a religion with politics and i think i see why we don't allow that in the u.s <laughs> this guy perfect you must be so proud you said you were a proud oh, mama yeah. bear and obviously i am i love them all i love them all please wish all of your i think you said six children yes a happy, a happy Juneteenth for mm, me here in Canada. I will. Thank you so much, Amy. It has been a pleasure, and I cannot wait to speak with you again, even if we're not 
recording. <laughs> now, just, just for the sake of having conversation, you are a wonderful human and I'm honored to have met you. Thank you. Thank you. And one more shout out to Chelsea. Bless you for this introduction. Yes. Everyone, keep introducing yes. people. Keep having yes. conversations. This is how we make the world a better place. It really is. It really is. <laughs> Good. Thank you again so much, Caress. Like, again, everyone, Caress like the gentle touch. The gentle touch. That's right. Bless you. Take care, Chris. Be safe Thank and mighty. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Ah! <laughs> Hi, oh my God. <laughs> Finally. Finally, yes. <laughs> Holy shit. Hi, Amy. Hi, Lindsay. How are you? <laughs> I'm okay. Today was a little a little strange. Um, I had woken up and I was checking in with news from home. Uh, one of my art teachers, unfortunately, had a really awful accident. Home for me is the Bahamas. Uh, I've been living in Canada since the end of 2009, like literally the tail end of 2009. And the gentleman who I was talking about, his name is Kim Smith. He's actually originally from Canada as well. Um, but when I was a teenager, he was teaching art classes. And at a time when I really, really wanted to be an artist. I mean, I still do, obviously. Um, but I was running into a lot of headaches with my formal education in art. Lots of teachers that were just giving me the runaround. Um, he was the first person that I actually took classes with that not only cared about growing my abilities, but also cared about me as a person. And as I got older, um, my brother started taking classes with him as well, networking with my parents and becoming very good friends. So he has always been like a huge supporter of everything that I've done, even when I stopped drawing and moved more into dance and burlesque. But um, yeah, so he's always like somebody who I would make sure to check in on every once in a while. Uh, he's a brilliant uh, pencil artist, uh, coloring pencil artist, like his stuff is super hyper-realistic. It's so great. Um, and then a couple of days ago, he was doing a walk around his property, obviously with the pandemic going around, it's just doing his daily exercises, then he tripped and he basically hit his chin on a table. And from what I understand, it crushed certain parts in his, uh, in his vertebra and rendered him pretty much paralyzed. And uh, yeah. So this is the, the kind of headspace that we're entering this conversation into. Yeah, it wasn't, that was not planned. Um, <laughs> uh, so you'll, you'll let me know and you'll let our listeners know that if there's anything that we can do to support. Yeah, there is a GoFundMe put up for him. Um, I'll gladly oh, send that to you. Yeah. Um, I'm going to send what I can as well. Absolutely. We'll put that in the show notes and we'll make a contribution for sure. Thank you. So that said... <laughs> Oh my God. I love your podcast so much. I love Hey, hey. Girl so much. I know you're only two episodes in, mm-hmm. but like episode one was like a meditation. And then episode two was like a, a, a hard hitting essay. <laughs> a better term. What, um, Hey, magical girl listeners go subscribe right now. Like pause missing witches. <laughs> go find Hey, magical girl, subscribe to that. Then come back to this episode. <laughs> Or, you know, you're only two episodes deep. So, hey, listen to both those episodes, then come back to this conversation. So what's episode three going to be about? Ooh, so I, I'm actually at a bit of a crossroads. I was going to make a post on my Patreon about it to ask my uh, subscribers what they were thinking. My initial plan was I wanted to dive into um, 
I wanted to dive into the uh, Avatar The Last Airbender series, specifically The Legend of Korra, um, because I figured uh, talking about what power there can be in a fictional character when it comes to making your own spiritual breakthroughs, I really, really resonated with the character of Avatar Korra in the series. Um, and I know that The Legend of Korra as a franchise has its ups and downs, knowing a lot about it from the uh, production standpoint and just how fans reacted. Uh, it was a sequel that we didn't necessarily ask for and some parts were great, some parts were uh, And oftentimes I saw people arguing about whether or not Korra was a decent character and I felt like a deep wound in my chest whenever people were talking about her because I felt that they were talking about me. Um, so I wanted to do that. But then the Harry Potter fandom exploded thanks to the author showing her whole turfy ass. And uh, one part of me doesn't want to give like too much credence to it on the site, but also, you know, I can't talk about magic in fandom and not talk about Harry Potter. So uh, an episode will absolutely have to come, but I just didn't want to turn it into a, oh, well, I'm going to like strike while the iron's hot and talk about this because it's an exhausting thing. And so many of my friends who are um, fall within the LGBTQ spectrum um, have been grossly personally affected by this author's constant transgressions on Twitter. And I would rather approach it with the severity and dignity that something like this deserves, as opposed to being like, hey, it's happening now, let's talk about it. I'm like, no. So it might still be the Korra episode, but the Harry Potter one's being scripted too. Yeah. And I mean, the, the battle continues. You know, exactly. Like it's going to be solved in a month. She's been <laughs> doing this. She's been doing this stuff for a while now. None of this is particularly new. This is just the most egregious that's been happening now. So it'll happen at some point, I guess. Yeah, I actually, one of the best compliments that I got recently is that someone uh, put on Twitter in response to this author um, who had equated turf and witch in some way. Ugh. And uh-huh. And they this this person on Twitter was like, missing witches would eat you for <laughs> playing the victim here. And yes. I was like, yes, I am yes, a success. I am a success as a person. The project is a success. Yes. If, like if that's yeah. Fuck that nonsense. Yeah, as Backwash said, I will eat your face. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Like I'm so I'm so enraged, but it's nothing in comparison to what my like queer and trans friends are going through when it comes to this type of stuff. So I want to do it with the respect that it deserves and ensure that I'm not bombarding them with constant discourse coming from a cis person. Right. And so for this episode, Mm -hmm. as you know, I've been um, sort of handing the mic over to uh, proud black witches. Mm-hmm. And um, I spoke to Caress from Austin, Texas, and Monifa from London, England. And what I asked them was, you know, say this was your podcast, what, wh- what would you say in this moment? You know, mm-hmm. um, what is your message? You have a podcast. So I have to kind of <laughs> adjust <laughs> the question a little bit. But so for the purposes of the Missing Witches listeners, who hopefully, again, will subscribe to the Hey Magical Girl podcast in, in this exact moment, what's your message to the listeners of Missing Witches today? It, June 10th, June 19th. Yeah. Um... We know that Black Lives Matter. This should not be an element for debate or surprise, but it's 2020 and here we fucking are. 
Um, know that when people are talking about the systemic oppression of Black voices, of Black stories, of Black lives, it is more than just police brutality. It is the longer ingrained things that happen in everything that you consume. We know that there's no ethical consumption under capitalism, and your media is not, uh, is not innocent of this either. Your stories are harmful most times to, to witches in general, and they're even more harmful to witches of color and black witches in particular. So you can stand your fictional black witches all you want, but understand that the systems that have been put in place ensure that they're never uh, actualized to the full power that they are damn well deserving of. And maybe decolonize your media a little and actually look for black stories told by black creators and give them a shot and you'll see the difference. What are, what are your some what are some of your favorites? So some of my favorites include Adorned by Chi. Um, actually, Amy can see me in the video. I'm wearing one of their shirts. Um, Adorned by Chi is a Nigerian-based magical girl series. So if you are a fan of Cards Have to Sakura or Sailor Moon or any basic magical girl series, you owe it to yourself to take a look at Adorned by Chi. Uh, it started off as a clothing brand kind of for pop culture uh, fans with a little bit of a black or a person of color twist. But now she's fully going into her own intellectual property. She's developed a manga that's available for free on her website. Um, and it's actually being turned into an animated series right now, which is so, so cool. Um, so I will stand adorned by Chi until my very, very last breath because I love everything that they've been doing. Um, I've recently checked out the first episode of Juju, which is a web series. I think it's on Hulu. Um, that's been super, super fun. Um, and so far, just been absorbing anything that I can see where a person of color is, well, more than just the person of color. <laughs> Beyond the sur superficial tokenism, right? Exactly. Yeah. So how you've existed as a black woman in the Bahamas and as a black woman, I mean, you've existed as a black woman everywhere you've gone, but you've yeah. lived, you've lived as a black woman in Vancouver, Canada, and <clears throat> excuse me, in the Bahamas. So mm -hmm. how do you, how do you see the difference? Oh, the experience? difference is, pardon the pun, the difference is black and white. <laughs> um, the Bahamas, even though it's an archipelago of nations, it is a majority black country. So I grew up from infancy to basically when I was 20, where my skin was the default. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're not dealing with um, whiteness as an ideal, we definitely still are. The Bahamas depends on international visitors, especially from the United States, for basic survival. Tourism is our number one industry. Um, but when it came to issues of race and identity, it was very rarely colored as a black or white thing. Um, for example, even with things like police brutality, if I ever ran into an issue with the police officers in the Bahamas, I would never have to worry about, oh, it's because I'm black. It's some other baggage that we won't get into here, uh, but my race was never a part of it. When I moved here to Vancouver, I suddenly became very hyper-visible um, as a minority. That's, uh, I don't think that I'm actually a minority, but you know what I mean. Well, um, air quotes, air quotes, minority. Yeah, very heavy air quotes on that. Um, it was a very stark contrast because all of a sudden I realized, oh, me and my boyfriend, now husband, also from the Bahamas, we're like the only black people that we can see at like 60 paces at any given point. And 
for a while, that didn't necessarily bug us too much, but definitely as we started living in the city more, um, interacting with people who are born and bred in Canada, interacting with Indigenous persons and learning their history and learning just how much was swept under the rug with our own like cultural introduction to life in Canada, and then to find out about things like Hogan's Alley, the Black community that was turned into a fucking aqueduct out here in Vancouver and completely eradicated the cultural touch point for a lot of black persons in Metro Vancouver. All that type of stuff is, it sits in the skin in a very, very wrong way. Um, Obviously there's lots of steps and lots of uh, protests that have been happening, even like right now uh, to reclaim that history, to center this conversation back to the fact that this whole way of life was essentially eradicated and shuffled off to other cities, which as someone who is not from here, that's a little, like, that's a little weird thing. Like, I shouldn't have to travel to three cities over just to find a large dearth of individuals who look like me. But yet, here I am. Cor- corralled. <laughs> corralled yeah. into a city three towns over, yeah. Exactly. Um, it's not to say that there aren't Black people in Vancouver. There definitely are, but I have to hunt for them. Like, the few times where I actually, like, felt connected to that community was, like, when I would go to a concert, and it was very clearly a Black uh, artist, and then I would look around, just like, oh, there y'all are. Cool. <laughs> it's not just me. It's not just two of us. Um, and that's been great, but there needs to be more of it. Like, you can claim all you want that Vancouver is culturally diverse, and in the manner of speaking, it is. Um, but when I had to still kind of grate through everything with a fine tooth comb to find some semblance of blackness, then there is still a problem. And in your percent, I mean, a part of, uh, uh, Hey Magical Girl is like a media dissection. So how, how do you see your black Canadian Bahamian identity in relation to black American identity in this? Um, it's very strange. So a lot of times I have to kind of enter conversations when people like loop me into what's happening in the States. I have to remind them I'm not American and I am not Canadian. Um, I'm only here as a permanent resident. Um, so my identity is for, I guess the word I would use is Afro-Caribbean. So any of my discourse that I have to contribute is going to be very much colored for the fact that I didn't have this problem until I moved there as an adult. So as far as I'm concerned, a lot of this is fucking stupid. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But um, I think it is also important because whether or not I landed in the States for my education, whether or not I landed in Canada, or even if I stayed, um, there are still some things about existing as a Black person in these spaces, in these uh, Western colonized spaces that permeates regardless where I grew up specifically. Um, So no, I can't comment to specifically the... uh, the displacement of the Hogan's Alley uh, neighborhood in place of this viaduct because I wasn't physically there and that is not a part of my personal history. But I can tell you as somebody who immigrated to the space how that affects me, things like that. Also, you know, it doesn't matter how well-educated or uh, well-spoken I am for Bahamian standards. As soon as I go to the United States, if someone decides that I'm a insert word there, that's it. So, yeah, your issues still affect me regardless of any other type of, like, fancy way you want to put it or where I've been living or how I've been speaking. Your girl's still Black, so we still got to have these conversations. And where does being a witch come in? Um, being a witch for me was a... It was a, like a weird extension of all the different ways I didn't fit into what I thought was, like, the stereotype of 
uh, Caribbean blackness or what was expected of me. Um, it all came out as very individualistic. Um, of course, now I'm a little older, so I can be like, mm, no, there's no such thing as a stereotype here. Um, we're witchy as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it absolutely is. Um, nowadays, a lot of persons in my generation are kind of coming to terms with the fact that the uh, religion, that the discourse that we were taught as children mm, doesn't quite fly. There are holes in this dogma. And it, exert, it exists to be kind of poked around at and filled with. And oftentimes a lot of us end up turning to witchcraft or traditional African spirituality, depending on what uh, collective ties you are able to either find within your ancestry or within your own circles. Unfortunately, coming from the Bahamas, my um, traditional African spirituality of Obeya is technically still criminalized. So I can't go to anybody to be like, hey, I want to learn about Obeya outside of a more academic sense. Because if someone, if someone decided that they wanted to, they could absolutely have that person fined or locked up for three months, basically. So knowing that and being here in Canada where I don't have that same structure of a Black unit around me where I can learn and process, it all ends up being very individualistic for me. So I'm interested in researching those ancestral ties because I don't have them. I often joke that the Bahamas has been successfully colonized in that respect. Um, and it means that my look at magic, my look at witchcraft is definitely more Western, um, especially when you factor in that I'm a pop culture witch more than anything else. Um, so it makes me very much a niche uh, witchy aspect, but that's fine. I like working with niches. Um, but it doesn't mean that I'm not like completely removed from my ancestry. It's just a little bit harder to kind of figure out exactly where it is I belong and what information I can find. It's been getting a little bit better. Um, I've recently been able to network with people who are back home, who have also had these conversations and are kind of opening themselves up to more esoteric study, which is really exciting. I've even been able to have honest conversations with my mother, who is from Suriname in South America, and their indigenous practice of Winti is actually legalized. So I've been having conversations with my mom about what she remembers growing up and even made a friend recently who is someone who practices Winti and I've been learning from them. So this is a new, sorry, this is a new word to me. Winti? Winti, W-I-N-T-I. So so basically imagine Winti in the same vein as uh, Hoodoo, Santeria, Vudun, all of these uh, ancestral practices that were brought over from our uh, slave ancestors and kind of uh, reworked for the context that they were in with one very distinct difference. There is absolutely no Western or Christian traditions built into this. Like we see in Santeria, for example. Exactly. That's not a a knock on either of those practices. I should definitely say Um, there's a lot of power in the synchronization of those two mediums, but I really love the fact that Winty is about as African as you can possibly get because those guys not only held on to what they knew, but they bolted the fuck out of those slave plantations, hid themselves in the jungle and stayed there. And that's really fucking cool to me. Um, So when I learned that a little while ago, I was just like, whoa, what is this? I never heard it growing up. I spoke to my mom. She's like, oh, you know, if you were interested as a kid, I would have told you. And I'm like, we're going to have a conversation about that, but okay. (laughs) But she's been really open to just like telling me what she remembers. um, And I've been talking to other people about it. So it's been really cool. So I guess for me, witchcraft is kind of twofold, where it is both establishing myself as a unique individual, 
through my magic and also remembering who I was through the magic of my ancestors. The community aspect and the individual aspect. Exactly. I think, yeah, and witchcraft, that's where, that's where you find witchcraft is in the meeting of those things often. Exactly. Uh, so I reached out to you when we did that live episode because the theme was dance. So um, some of our listeners will have heard that passage that you contributed. Again, thank you so much. It was no magnifique. Problem. Chef kiss. Um, but can you talk about how you've brought um, your ancestry into your contemporary yes. art form? So along with the many, many, many other hats that I wear, I'm also a burlesque dancer here in Vancouver. I go by Androsia Wild, the Bahama Mama of burlesque. And in 2019, I was invited to perform at the Vancouver International Burlesque Festival, which is basically like our big burlesque party that happens in this portion of the world. Um, for oh, about a year prior, I had been working on a project or a dance routine, which was 100% Bahamian. Um, and most times when I perform, it's usually like Canadian, American artists, like pretty Western slash universal themes. But I really wanted to craft an experience that was very uniquely me. And around this time, I was also kind of struggling with the idea of people knowing me as a burlesque dancer, because as far as people back home are concerned, that's just me being a stripper. And they're right, but <laughs> slightly different context. Mm -hmm. um, and then the additional baggage of being like, I'm not a Christian, I haven't been for a while. And as far as they're concerned, anything that isn't is just me worshipping the devil, which they're actually wrong about. I don't worship the devil because I don't think that's a thing. Yeah. Anyway, um, so when I was having these conversations with people about connecting with ancestry and uh, learning more and more again about Obea, um, what I wanted to do was talk about that through the realm of dance and the artist that I ended up settling on his name is Tony McKay he is a Bahamian a prolific Bahamian guitarist uh contemporaries with Nina Simone for example um and he was known as Exuma the Obeah man which was both not only a cultural nod to where we collectively came from but also he was an Obeah practitioner for all intents and purposes and his family was too um so the role of an Obeah man in uh, the idyllic uh, scenario the Bahamas would have been this uh, community healer and root worker and all the rest of that. So I wanted to channel that experience, that knowledge through me and have that work through my body. And as it turns out, it, I chose a very African way to do it, which is through dance. Um, so the whole piece is me in virginal white or Christian white and eventually calling down the spirit of Tony McKay, calling down the spirit of Obeya, whatever collectively Obeya is. And that piece very specifically with the exception of like one or two like timing beats, I don't choreograph that number. I intend it to be read very much as a possession as much as humanly possible. Um, so when I did that on that stage, I remember getting into place. I remember a few bright lights and then I remember collapsing backstage in the wings crying out of exhaustion and relief. I don't remember anything about what I did. Um, but there's video of what I did, obviously. And it seems to still resonate with people, which is what I wanted. I wanted people to see the complexities of living in this skin, in this body, in these identities that I still sometimes don't know what to do with, um, but be able to process it in a way that feels not only unique, but is important to what my 
personal journey reconnecting with my ancestry is. And since dance is a huge, important part of that, just being black, uh, that was the way I did it. (laughs) And literally letting the spirit move you. Exactly. Yeah. So how did you get into tarot? Because that's how I first encountered you is as Dark Lake Tarot. That's at Dark Lake Tarot. Mm -hmm. So So, um, so that one was interesting because I, it was initially from a school project. So when I came here to Vancouver, Canada, I came to study illustration. So I enrolled in Emily Carr University of Art and Design. I graduated in 2012. Yeah, another the, hat that you wear. <laughs> too many hats, not enough headspace. Um, so at the time, I was taking um, illustration classes, and one of my favorite projects was exploring um, triadic art. So basically a triptych or three-piece artwork. So we were supposed to do it in a way that was not this big uh, bombastic piece, but something that was tactile and something that you can move around. And at the time I was super, I still am, uh, obsessed with the wives of King Henry VIII. Oh, interesting. <laughs> we'll I, save that for another podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I, I loved that era, right? So mm-hmm. I decided to take the six wives and turn them into playing cards. And it turned them into three queen cards, basically matched up, did some color uh, uh, research and all the rest of it, and tried to make it look contemporary, but also like this would have been an actual hand of cards that people would have been using several years after the queens had passed. Around that time, uh, when I was reading um, historical fiction novels based off of that time period, that's how I was initially introduced to tarot being used as a playing card game. And so I was like, okay, I want to see what they were talking about. They, one book in particular was constantly referencing the Wheel of Fortune, which to no one's surprise now is now my favorite card. Um, so I'm like, okay, I want to see more about this Wheel of Fortune. So then it starts the reading. And then it turns into, huh, this would be a kind of cool thing. I was originally thinking maybe I'll do like a playing card deck for my graduation project. Maybe I should research how people use playing cards. And then it turned into, hmm, I should probably practice with these things if I'm going to actually like make this make sense if I'm going to eventually draw it. And then it turned into, oh shit, I think I'm good at this. <laughs> and then I started like practicing with myself, practicing with other people. I would give advice or I would say things and it would resonate like really, really strongly. Um, there was one time I did a reading for somebody back home and the next day they quit their job and pursued their passions. Uh, I still don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> depends on the passions i guess i mean it was, like, it was absolutely great like they were in a situation where they were being taken advantage of and i didn't know this and i just blurted it out out loud and then like literally like two days later they like send in a resignation and now they're doing their thing and they reminded me of it a couple of days ago and i'm just like oh that's great i'm glad that helped i still feel really weird about that <laughs> um but yeah so it was like okay if People are liking what I have to say. Let's try cultivating it a little bit. And two years ago-ish, I decided to just make that legitimately a thing that I do. So, Dark Lake Tarot. Yeah, and so for our listeners who are listening to you right now and are like, oh yeah, this is the person I want to read my cards next, How? what's the best way to get in touch with you? Um, darklaketarot.com. So that's D-A-R-K-L-A-K-E tarot.com. That has all of my, um, info. It has the way that you can easily order a reading from me. I do tarot and astrology. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at darklaketarot, uh, occasionally on Twitter, also at darklaketarot. 
Um, but usually those are the easiest ways to find me. And Hey Magical Girl has a Twitter, but do, do you have an IG for Hey Magical Girl yet? I don't have an IG yet for Hey Magical Girl. I've been thinking about it, but I don't know. Like, it's technically a podcast. It's an audio listening thing, so I'm not entirely sure if Instagram is the right format for it, but it does have a Twitter. Yes. yes. So you can absolutely find Hey Magical Girl at heymagicalgirl.com and Hey Magical Girl at Twitter at the very least. Yeah, and <clears throat> if you follow Missing Witches, you've probably seen the multitude of retweets. Yay! So we'll <laughs> get in there. Okay, I have asked this of everyone that I, I am speaking to today. What are your thoughts on or reactions to the term Black Girl Magic? Um, it's more literal than you think. Uh, that was something I kind of had to learn, not quite the hard way, but definitely through a lot of uh, trials and tribulations to borrow a Christian phrasing there. Um, it's real, it's literal, it's easier to access than you think, and there's no one way about it. So when you have found it for yourself, fucking run with it. <laughs> Perfect. So let's run it down one more time before I let you go. Mm -hmm. Um, Dark Lake Tarot. Yep. Just like the words dark, lake, mm -hmm. tarot. All, hey, hey, all one word, of course. Hey, Magical Girl Podcast. Mm -hmm. Listeners, go now, do these things. And <laughs> um, is there anything, again, is there anything you want to sign off with? I mean, I'm just so happy that we finally got to meet in Peru. I know. I've like been a fan of you guys years. since the inception, and this is literally making my day. Um. <laughs> me too because i'm like you know you were like one of the first people to like follow us mm -hmm. and so I, you know obviously i'm like oh you know who's this and, and again like i say like you contributed a piece of writing to our live episode and mm -hmm. so you know this has been our relationship i'm using air quotes yes. but i guess all types <laughs> of relationships or relationships has been going on for a couple of years now but this is the first time we actually are speaking face to face across yes well face to face as far as you know we can with distance and a pandemic yeah <laughs> and do you want to say anything about distance and pandemic maybe we could just leave on that uh please continue wearing your masks folks we're not out of the woods yet um and yeah black lives matter duh <laughs> <laughs> like i feel like you know do should we add the duh as a like yes, an official addition <laughs> Like, yeah, just like, why, why are we having this debate still? It's 2020, get with the fucking program. They yeah. matter. We matter. Duh. Like, <laughs> like, ridiculous. I mean, I, you know, like I always say, like, disappointed, but not surprised. Like, my, mm. shock, my shock ran out years ago. You know, I've, I've yeah. gone outside of my bubble enough to not be shocked anymore, but like, disappointed. Yeah. But, yeah. Hopeful, but hopeful because this... Um, life but more specifically this podcast has enabled me to talk to people that I never would have met like yourself mm -hmm. and make connections with people around the world and that is what gives me hope personally yeah making, absolutely making connections are probably going to be the make or break thing out of all of us so yeah so if you're out there and you want a reading or you're looking for a new podcast in addition to your music, <laughs> you're missing, which is listening. <laughs> um, but also if you uh, need to make a connection, you can email me at missingwitches at gmail.com. Awesome. Happy, happy Juneteenth, Lindsay. Uh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> 
It's been amazing. Thank you so, so very much. And I hope oh, you- Thank you for thinking of me. This is so great. Stay well, stay mighty, keep working, keep unpacking. And I, I look very, very much forward to the next episode of Hey Magical Girl. Hopefully you'll be out in the next two weeks. Ooh, okay. <laughs> listeners, listeners, keep your ears peeled. <laughs> Hi, Monifa. How are you? It's so good to see your beautiful face. Hello. It's so good to um, be talking to you again. Thank you for inviting me back. I'm actually quite well, um, despite the chaos that's going on. But I love chaos. I thrive in chaos. And, um, you know, it's helping me to transform and transform with people. It's beautiful what's happening. It is. It's beautiful what's happening. Yeah. And that's how we change, right? As we get really uncomfortable. And that's how we make Absolutely. changes. Absolutely. And you know that, I mean, our listeners who have heard Monifa on the show before, we talked about shadow work and about how unveiling these darknesses, for lack of a better word, these shadows, um, helps us to grow and change. Yeah. So this, I feel, is like what's happening right now. Yeah, it really is. And um, I said to my friend yesterday that, um, you know, some of the great, grandchildren and great 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 grandchildren and great 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 grandchildren of these slave owners are actually helping to pull down these statues themselves so those children are also healing karma as well it's not just one race that's doing massive healing here everyone is doing massive healing here for one reason or the other that they know deep down that this is like it's like a nexus point in history where it's like it's now or never and um it's funny because before this all kicked off i did my video on saturn retrograde at the beginning of May, and I said, it's pretty much a case during, during the retrograde period, there's like an opportunity where the door will have a little gap and then people will have a chance to kind of, you know, take a leap of faith and go through that gap and see what's on the other side. And the people that don't because of fear and hold on to those fears, by the time the retrogrades end, they're going to have to be chipping through a very thick door to catch up with everybody else. And I think that's what we're going to see is going to be happening in the next few months that, um, you know, people that dig their heels in and don't want to learn how to sit with the discomfort are going to get left behind very, very fast. Even if other people don't want to leave them behind, it's just going to be a natural course of events because, you know, when your consciousness is evolving, if other people aren't willing to, you know, vibrate on the same level as you, it's just really, really hard to communicate and connect with them. So I have only a couple questions because what I really want to do is just give you this platform. The platform is yours. What is your message to anything you want to say to our listeners or to the world at large? Like, what is your message? The platform is yours, Monifa. Thank you. Okay. um, The first message that I have is um, the guilt isn't going to change anything. Stop with the effing guilt. The guilt blocks abundance, it blocks change, and in some ways, it's also like cognitive dissonance as well. So, you know, if you're feeling any guilt that's coming up for whatever reason, regardless of what your skin tone is, check in with yourself as to why you're feeling guilty, because chances are you're denying yourself a pleasure there. And you're probably denying yourself the pleasure because it's like really dark and messed up and taboo and you don't want anyone to know. That's fine. You don't have to tell anyone, but just be honest with yourself and cut the stop with the guilt. And secondly, um, I feel like maybe it's synchronous of what I'm doing, but I feel like we're at a point where everybody needs to really look at their relationship with money and heal that because everything that we're discussing and everything that we're doing to change things, the one common denominator in the past, future, past, present and future is money. 
and we need to change attitudes around it because um, I think some of us are still holding on to some poisonous myths about money because of how dark our history was and it isn't actually true. And um, I really want everyone to liberate themselves and they can help liberate others so that they can help liberate others and so on and so forth. Um, money is, um, you know what? Money isn't actually that complex, but we make it complex by the shared illusion of what we believe money actually is. And when we break it down, um, it's so, it really shatters the ego when we break down and realize what money actually is, how we can use it, how can we can receive it, how we can spend it. And I think um, the mistake that we've been making is we've been trying to address money issues with uh, uh, the mindset that it's very, very poisonous, it's very, very bad, and it's very, very wrong because we connect money with a lot of the ills and the horrors of the past. But um, money isn't bad. Money isn't good either. And um, actually on my Instagram, I did a very important video on that when I said, is money good or bad and discuss this. So this is why I want everyone to heal the relationship with money because I really think that that is the key to our, our liberation. Like Uranus is in Taurus. Taurus was money, it was earth. Uranus is liberation, it's instability. So we're at this uh, nexus point now. A really good way to start healing a relationship with money, um, astrology. Um, and actually, funny enough, since this has all been going on, I've had a lot of people coming to me for like 30 minute hour readings to look at their ancestry because um, your ancestry is very much connected to the money trail. Your behavior of money is connected to your, your you know, the people before you, your ancestors. And um, your birth chart actually shows specifically what you may have done in previous lifetimes, if you believe in that. If you don't, it can also show certain patterns in your family, certain behavioral patterns, certain money patterns, and it also shows money blocks in your chart as well. And it also shows how you can best liberate yourself from that. Now, I'm not saying that everybody... Um, see, some astrologers would disagree with me and say, oh, not everybody can heal their relationship with money and get money. I don't actually believe that. I think that's actually um, a way of blocking yourself through fear. Um, because even though we're individual, we're all connected. So therefore, if some people can liberate themselves through healing their relationship with money, why can't we all do that? Yes, it may be harder for some, but it doesn't mean that it's impossible. And that's what I've actually been finding out through people that have been coming to me that have been like really stuck, that have really wanted to change, don't know where to change. And they've been like, well, what's happened previously? What's been going on in my family line? And I've like looked at their chart, I've explained it to them, showed them where um, their money blocks are, how to best tap into that. And every person that I've done that with, um, they've come back to me and said, yeah, they're starting to receive more money. Like there's this one lady, um, lovely lady, and she came to me and um, I just kind of, I, you know, she trusted me. I said, would you be willing to let me give you an assignment just for a couple of weeks, see what happens, and then... If, you, if it works, you can come back to me again. She's like, uh, I'm scared, but let's do it. She's Scorpio rising, so she's willing to dive deep. I was like, thank you, Scorpio, thank you. <laughs> so I gave her like a couple of exercises and how to um, bring some more money into her life just by looking at her chart. And within two weeks, bam, she got like nearly $1,000. And she was like, whoa, okay, I need to get another reading. And um, <laughs> she did. And um, that person's like on a roll now. They're, they're, they're starting to understand their relationship with consumption and spending and why they were blocking money so yeah i really would encourage anyone at the moment to look into that um and go deep it's another form of shadow work as well um actually the way that my teachers describe it to me um the money healing is like a med poison medicinal path like ayahuasca 
or like um, taking magic mushrooms. It really is, um, it's very transformative from the inside out. Once you start this journey, you'll never look at money in the same way again. Amazing. I think that like what you were talking about, about getting rid of fear opens up so many of these big love, money, um, oh. you know, success, family, friendships. Once, once you start to abolish that fear, and I know this wasn't on the podcast. This was something uh, personal that uh, Monique and I did, but we did a shadow work session that was extremely useful for me, even just in the one session of just understanding how my, my fears related um, to my relationships and seeing the connections between those things. You know, I think, I think capitalism has done a great job of making us, of telling us it's distasteful to talk about money. And yes. so don't say, how much do you get paid? How much do you get paid? How much do you, there's this fear that of being polite. And again, this brings us into, you know, um, um, tone policing, which Absolutely. capitalism is also very good at. Oh so, my gosh, yes. And it's, it's so funny because, you know, the communities that are very open about talking about money get judged, but they also have amazing relationships with money. And I know this partially because I actually have like Jewish ancestry in me. So um, I kind of feel like it's synchronous that now I'm, uh, you know, living, a, a, you know, building a business where I'm helping people in terms of how to liberate themselves through money because the Jewish community are very adept at money. They don't mind talking about money. They don't mind discussing money, how they can spend money, how they can receive money. And that's a very, very healthy attitude to have. Not just the Jewish community, there's other communities as well, but the one that's connected to my heritage. Um, yeah, and it completely makes a lot of sense. And like you said, the capitalism wants you to uh, feel bad and hate yourself whilst at the same time trying to... You know, it's like what I said previously in one of my... Um, in one of my um, videos on my Instagram, and I said, you know, when people are like, oh, money's so evil, money's so bad, it's, it's, it's you know, it, it causes everything to go wrong. I'm thinking, hold on a minute, you're saying this with a phone in your hand that you paid with money. Can you not see the paradox of that, my friend? <laughs> For me, I mean, I mean, that was me. You're describing me where like um, my, my parents, I mean, I grew up working class, but my parents still used money to manipulate me. Mm -hmm. if, if you do this then you'll get that or or you absolutely know, yeah you have to do this in order to for us to take care of you basically you know absolutely. and so i've been working on this of of okay money isn't evil money is a tool in the same way and i think you and i've talked about this before how a hammer is a tool you can mm -hmm. use a hammer to build a house and live happily in it could also use a hammer to bash somebody's skull in it's exactly. not like the hammer is not the thing our intentions and how we use the thing in this case money is the thing absolutely i mean um often a slight tangent you could say the same about drugs drugs aren't good or bad people define if a drug is good or bad by their experience with it like you know some people have had a really horrible experience of cannabis and say it's the worst drug out there and then they've had an amazing time on opiates and there's some people that would have the complete reverse opinion so it really is about you know free will experience and the perception of that experience that makes us decide oh yes that is good and that is bad and um as we're seeing as well that you know um that binary thinking is not fit for purpose anymore. We're evolving into the age of Aquarius, where it's about freedom on all levels, especially within um, on an intellectual basis. And for that kind of freedom, you have to go beyond the paradigms of binary. It can't be either or anymore. You have to consider 
and or which or maybe or if and for some people that is really terrifying because it means that you have to look at their whole life and be like well have I been limiting my whole life out of fear then and some people can't handle that and I totally get it I do um I think I'm facing it head on because my Saturn return is in in the eighth house, the house of death and rebirth. So I'm like, hey, another ego death, bring it on. (laughs) (laughs) Bring on the ego death. I think we all need it. Absolutely. And, you know, because it's in Aquarius as well, I can kind of see that um, people like me, Saturn and Aquarius, where if, if we break through our own personal fears, we can help people break through their fears as well and get the freedom that they seek. So... That's why I say it's a really beautiful time. I don't see it as, some people see it as doom and gloom. I really don't. I really see a very, very bright future ahead. Simply because history has always shown us that we always had to go through something very, very dark, like a pandemic, whether it's a psychological one or a literal one. And then comes, after that comes the Renaissance and, and, you know, so many new ideas, so much creativity, so many things get birthed. And I definitely, definitely see that coming um, in so many ways and I think that's why probably why I've probably been talking a lot more online getting more vocal because like uh, there's no time other than now to really put my mark out there and have people to hear my voice or what I have to say and um, how I can help them and then um, I was laughing the other day as well because the video I did on the Pluto retrograde I actually said in the caption anger is the gateway to pleasure <laughs> interesting can you unpack that for me yeah absolutely um So anger is a very misunderstood emotion. Um, Even in mythology, it's kind of portrayed certain deities or certain entities as um, really distrustful and demonic and evil. But then when you think about Lilith and Medusa and the serpents, these are all symbols of free will. Yeah, refusal to... Exactly. And free will can be seen as very dangerous. It can be seen as very evil because you haven't got a control over that. And that's what the anger kind of represents. It represents um, a a desire to seek something outside of that emotion. And when you understand that and everything that it brings with you, you can uh, learn to enjoy the anger and the rage and frustration and all the passion and the joys and the pleasures that come with it. And um, this is why, you know, you know, uh, Goddesses like Lilith and Medusa have been vilified for years and years and years in mythology because they wanted people to fear that power rather than tap into it and go, ah, oh, well, hold on a minute. And just to say as well, this is not me dissing Eve as well. I don't like it when um, witches in the community are like, oh, Lilith over Eve. And it's like, well, you're missing the point. Eve isn't meant to be denigrated either. Eve had another gift. Eve, Eve's gift was to actually listen to Lilith, exercise that free will in a way that she actually tricks God. I think that's a damn skill in itself as well. So yay, eat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we definitely don't want to put Lilith and Eve as, um, as uh, against each other. Definitely not, definitely not. They had the same intentions, but they went, they went they approached it at different angles. That's all it is, really. And um, if Lilith didn't have faith in Eve, she wouldn't have gone back to the garden. She would have stayed out in Egypt. I'd have been like, hey, she's a Adam Eve to it. But she didn't because she knew that... Uh, you know, they, had, they, they, were, they were connected in some way and she had to liberate Eve. And Eve then liberated Adam. So, but of course, then, you know, thousands of years later, you know, society, a patriarchal society doesn't want to tell people, ah, oh, the divine feminine liberates you. So, of course, let's denigrate women in mythology. Let's denigrate women in the Bible, you know. Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> Definitely not. And this, this you're, you're, you know, in praise of anger, it also brings 
out um, very racist ideas about the angry black woman, the oh, angry yes. black man. And to me, I hear this as, you know, as a denigration. And, and I think to myself, why are they angry? Is this yeah, righteous anger? Fuck yes, it is. And, and again, like there's something to be said about someone who's just pissed off all the time and, and refuses to actually do anything to help the situation, just likes being shitty and complaining. And then there's righteous anger, which is like, this is wrong and I'm yeah. angry. And this we have to praise. Do you know what I've actually found out? People are scared of righteous anger than just really bitter everyday anger because the everyday anger, people are like, oh, she's miserable, he's miserable, and they're moaning. But when you have righteous anger, um, you're not angry like that all the time. So when you roar, and I'm in Leo, so when I roar, everybody hears me roar, and it kind of puts people in the head like, oh. And I actually did another video. See, I've been doing a lot of videos this Gemini season. I did and of course, the listeners, we're going to we're going to mention um, Monifa's Instagram, and we'll link to it in the show notes, and you can go through and watch all of these videos that she's talking. Oh, about. thank you. Of course. Um, but um, yeah, it was, on, it was on my music page, and um, it was a, it was like a big leap of faith. I was actually scared to do it, but I wanted to speak about some of the um, experiences that I've had in the music industry and how being a black woman in the music industry carries a lot of bullshit and also an immense amount of joy as well. And the one reason why I kept quiet about certain things that, um, that were going on is because when I tried to confront people at the time, they were like, they shut me down. Of, oh, why are you being aggressive? Why are you being difficult? Or why are you being so angry? So in this video, I kind of called all of that out. I was like, this is a video where, you know, I was getting called an angry black woman. I was getting called aggressive anyway. So I may as well be righteously angry in this video and explain to you all what I've actually been keeping in to myself. And um, I, was, I, was, I was very anxious about it. I put it out then. I was like, don't know how it's going to be received. And it's been received really, really well. People said, um, thank you for speaking up. Um, didn't realize some of those things were going on, but it makes a lot of sense. And I think it's going to encourage other people um, to speak up, other women, but especially other black women as well. Because, um, you know, yes, women as a whole in the industry have a lot of um, rubbish they have to deal with. But what I've observed that black women have to deal with is something else. And, you know, it was hard for me as well, because at first I tried to tell myself, well, maybe it's not racist, maybe it's all these other things. And I was patient. I allowed all these other factors to get ticked off. And I was like, no, it's not that. No, it's not that. Hmm, what is the last thing left on the list that I haven't ticked off yet? Oh, yes, <laughs> my skin tone. So I couldn't deny it anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how do you think, as a British Black woman, how do you think your experience is the same? How do you think it differs being a British Black woman versus a Canadian Black woman or an American Black woman? How is it the same? How is it different? Um, there are so many layers because... Um, you know, white supremacy is a very multi-layered, omnipresent, multifaceted system. It's also a psychotic system, in my opinion, because it actually oppresses white people as well. Except that it doesn't oppress them first. It's the people at the bottom that is oppressed first, which are black people. But, you know, even poor white people get oppressed by the system as well. But anyway, um, the reason why I'm bringing that up is because you have racism outside of your, um, your race and ethnicity, and then you have issues inside your race and ethnicity and they're very symbiotic they're not um they're not separate from each other and i think what i've noticed is that um depending on where you where you live where you were born as a black woman you can get a slightly different response than say um if you have an american accent or um if you have a south american accent. like let me give you an example um 
you know, I went to Los Angeles recently in January. That's the second time that I've been. And, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't have any major assumptions, but I just had a very uh, optimistic, in my head, I was like, look, you know, I'm not going to say anything's definitely going to happen, but I'm not going to act surprised or shocked or annoyed if it does, because I'm not in my home country. I have to respect the laws of this country. If they ask me questions, I can't dispute that. I can't get angry about it because I'm black, right? So, um, you know, I was thinking about that. I was in the queue. Then this guy came up to me and he was like, where have you flown from? London? Oh, go there. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I remember Julie Yashiri, this comedian, British black comedian who lives in LA now. She said that um, when you're a black woman in America with an English accent, there is a slightly different reaction towards you than if you're a black woman with an American accent. And I didn't really get what she was saying at the time until I experienced it. And even when I was going out to places and people would hear me talk and they'd be like, oh my God, I love your accent. And I think because I had this accent it was almost like a, a, um, a way of breaking down that barrier that they may have had towards African-American women. Because these people, um, some of these people that I spoke to weren't black, but they were willing to talk to me because they wanted to know where I lived, where I got the accent from, what's my heritage. And, you know, I didn't actually find it irritating because I actually thought, well, this is an opportunity to break down this barrier and show them that, um, yes, the Black Lives Matter movement is unified, but we're not a unified person. We're all very individual. We're all very different. We all come from many, many, many walks of life. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, heck, you know, some of my favorite bands um, you know, are like, you know, His Infernal Majesty and The Killers and Garbage. So, you know, we are, we are a plethora of um, black people. And I think that's all we really want to be seen as, just seen as people that deserve equity, that are very, very different, very individual, and um, just have a lot of love to give and a lot of love to share. And um, yeah, it's not about being superior. It's not about being supreme. It's just saying, hey, if I work as hard as you, I would really like to be considered and treated and seen and respected in the same way as well. But yes, um, being a black British woman is very different to say if I was African-American or Canadian. And then again, that goes back to my heritage as well, because I'm I've got like Jamaican ancestry, Scottish ancestry, and Jewish ancestry. And you know, that's a heavy karma to heal because obviously, you know, anyone of a, if, if, you know, anyone of intelligence can guess, oh, that's a mixed ancestry there. So that person must have had people in their family that were slave owners and were slaves, which is true. I've had both. That's why my relationship with money is very, very, very complex. It took a lot of healing because, um, Part of the reason why I feared being wealthy is because some of my ancestors gained their wealth through the pain and suffering of others. And there's a part of me that wanted to reject that so much. Like, um, there's a part of me that felt like, oh, if I like money, will I become like them? And that is not true at all. But I did have that fear for a very, very, very long time. And once I kind of broke through that barrier, I got to the other side and I was like, oh, okay. Oh, right. so the ancestors wanted me to heal this. Okay, cool. <laughs> So what are your thoughts on the term black girl magic? Um, I love it. Um, the reason why I love it is because the default for girl magic is usually associated with white women. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the defaults in the society are associated with um, um, the white skin tone. So and we it, saw this in, in the craft where the three white women are always invited to all of the craft parties and Rachel True, the, the single black witch of the four, is somehow not invited to the conferences. Anyway, absolutely. carry on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. 
it's like extremely yeah. weird. It's, it's, I mean, we get it because racism, but it's like, there were only four of them. How can you invite three and not? Uh, anyway, this is obviously a very popular <laughs> But nonetheless, yeah, white, whiteness is centered. And, and this was part of yeah. this project at, from the jump was to uncenter this whiteness. And thank you for helping. Absolutely. It's, it's very omnipresent. And I think using the term black girl magic is just taking a focus off the omnipresence and saying, hey, there's something else that's just as powerful, that's just worthwhile, that also needs recognition and also needs um, a platform as well. Because, um, you know, Black girl magic gets denigrated the minute we express a frustration or concern. Again, it goes back to being aggressive and an angry black woman. So we always have to have to continuously show that, look, we are more than activism. We are more than the anger. We are more than the pain. Um, suffering, I don't, well, personally, I don't feel I suffer. I feel like suffering is a choice. I have a lot of pain for my epigenetics and my ancestry, but I don't choose to suffer from it. There's a difference between the two. But um, yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, you know, black girl magic, because, you know, black girl magic hasn't been seen as something positive for a very, very long time, whether it's down to our hair, our skin tone, what we like doing. Um, I mean, I, I could think of so many situations in school where I now I realise in hindsight, I made a lot of those girls very intimidated because I never come across a black girl like me that had all of these skills and all of these talents. And um, sometimes... Not all the time, but sometimes when you're facing, look at your privilege, if it's racial, um, able-bodied, class, um, sometimes it gets so uncomfortable addressing that because you may feel like, well, I haven't really done much, so how can I have all this privilege? And it's like, well, it's not about what you've done, it's about what you have. End of. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Like what you were born with, even. You had nothing to do with anything that you were born into. And I think especially white people, they, they get, uh, I mean, I've seen a lot of white fragility coming into my inboxes. I, I guess people sort of see me as like a safe white space to unpack these things and like help them unpack these things without asking for the labor of black women. And so I've seen this white fragility coming up, this defensiveness of like, well, my life has been hard. And and we keep trying to explain, it's it's not that your life hasn't been hard. Exactly. <laughs> no one's saying that you haven't suffered, no one's saying you haven't struggled, but you had one less thing to worry about. I mean, I saw a really great meme when it said, You've got 99 problems, but your race ain't one. Hit it. <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, it's, it's, it's simple as that. Yeah. But the fragility and the defensiveness is still, it's, it's, I don't want to say shocking because I'm not shocked, like disappointed, but not surprised, I guess is what, is what I yeah. usually say. Yeah. People think like, well, that had nothing to do with me. But so, that, that kind of statement time. makes me laugh as well, though, when someone goes, oh, well, I didn't do that personally, because like, you may not have done that personally, but you're still benefiting from that system. And you still have an unconscious bias where you see black and brown people in a certain way because of the history and a system that made it very unequitable. So yes, you didn't personally, you know, get your hands bloody and dirty, but you're still reaping from all the bloody and dirty riches. So don't pretend like you're not. <laughs> yeah. And then it becomes our job to unpack that and to recognize Absolutely. And, and you know, every community, um, has to has their own anti-racism work it's just that every community has to approach it differently and um with white people it's really only the fact that um that i mean to be honest uh, this is a bit radical someone's going to come in the inbox for this but personally i think that <laughs> i love it i'm in my racism. inbox Starting yeah you know, i was yelling over you <laughs> i'm so prepared for people to come in my inbox you said because they always do but you know i think the the behavior of racism itself 
is deep on a soul level, on an emotional level, a psychological level. And I think there's also an addictive, um, there's also an addiction to it as well. The addiction of um, oppression, the addiction of victimization. There's so many different layers to this addiction, but I feel like everybody, whether you're white, black, brown, whatever, has to do some form of anti-racism work. It won't all be the same kind of anti-racism work, but everybody has to unpack something in the psyche, 100%. And that's why I mentioned earlier briefly about pain versus suffering. Um, now, what we're experiencing, what we're witnessing is a lot of pain. Um, but uh, people of colour and black people have to decide, do they really want to prolong that pain by suffering on top of that as well? Because when you're suffering on top of that, you can't be um, a black scholar, you can't be a black professor, you can't be a black scientist because you've made your identity just the suffering. And what we're seeing, what is so beautiful at the moment is you're seeing a plethora of black people with their pain, but they're not suffering, they're still in a community. They're still running businesses. They're still taking their kids to school. They're still talking to their neighbors. They're still cooking food. So these are all signs that yes, we can have pain, but we can heal it and acknowledge the pain is there whilst continuing to be the people that we want to be and live the lives that we want. And when you want to just focus on the suffering, whether you're white or black, you can't. And actually even white people that focus on, oh, I haven't got white privilege, I've suffered. That's why they're stuck in that place because they focus on the suffering. They're letting the suffering become their identity and go, well, no, I couldn't have had that. That couldn't have had that privilege because I've suffered my whole life. So the suffering isn't just for black people here. The suffering can happen to anybody. But once you let that suffering engulf you, it becomes your identity. And it's very, very hard to consider anything outside of that comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And feeling guilty is, is not the, the first step. You no, talking it, about it, guilt, it, it doesn't help. It blocks so much abundance. And that's one of the first... Um, uh, rule of thumbs I have when I do shadow work with people is whatever comes up, this is a safe place. You're not going to be judged and don't feel guilty about it. Own it. Enjoy it. And it is that one person that's disagreed with me yet. <laughs> have, you, have you had any clients come to you, especially recently, specifically wanting to work on their own uh, racial biases through shadow work? Yes, I have. Um, and it's actually the highest, it's actually the, the, the highest paid service that I charge for just because it's such an emotionally charged um, process, but it's very, very powerful. Um, it's, it's one that I've come up with from doing my own anti-racism shadow work. Um, it's kind of like a hermetically sealed kind of, um, uh, I don't want to say course, but yeah, it's very, very high up there. But I wouldn't suggest doing this with somebody with a shadow worker unless you started doing the work for yourself so for anyone who's listening if you're already doing your own anti-racism work and your shadow work through textbooks like um mean white supremacy um or if you're you know following rachel cargill through the way on learn that's a really good great way to do the personal shadow work and then once you've built that foundational layer then you can go seek out somebody where you can go really deep without having without you know freaking yourself out (laughs) and i i think that's something that we do too especially in contemporary society is we tend to miss we skip the first eight steps or whatever we want results you can't get the same result skipping the first 10 steps i can i can fully admit in the first half of my 20s i exactly like that in recovery i remember when i got taught this skill called radical acceptance and i thought right now i understand it i can apply it to the most traumatic things in my life no it set me back like two weeks because I went into this complete um, meltdown of like whatever opened up. And then I went back to my therapist and they were like, yes, you're meant to start on the really small things. Like, you know, it's raining and I've got a date. I'm going to radically accept that. 
or um, my fridge is gone and I was, when it going, I was about to cook a steak. I can radically accept that. And then you build up to the really heavy stuff. So that's why I was saying, you know, anyone listening, if you're, you know, if you're working with Layla's book or Rachel through Great Unlearn, that is great. Keep up with that. Build on that foundation and layer and then seek out other people. Um, or if you want to, if you're not doing um, the work of Rachel or Layla and you want to do shadow work personally, you can still do that through, um, you know, your relationship woes or how you see money you know start with yourself so you get a good um, discernment for what it is that is going to be too far for you or what is going to be okay to push you far enough if that makes sense and then you can go seek somebody out and um, pretty much everybody that I've worked with they had already had done some shadow work in some way before but they wanted to amplify that and take it up to the next level Oh, okay. So before we wrap up, because I do have three interviews for this episode, so I don't want to keep you too terribly long. Hit us with your links. What services can people get from you? What can they give us all? Because you're also a musician. Those of you who have heard Monifa on the show before, we've talked about Monifa as musician, Monifa as astrologer, Monifa as shadow worker. So give us, hit us with all your multiplicity of links. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, um, Manifa Walker on Instagram and Facebook, that will, that will give you all of my, um, and my business page, especially on Instagram. I'm very, very active on Instagram. My business, Sekhmet's Visions. Um, if you go on Instagram, I've actually started um, a, a, a show called Mercury Medusa Money, which is every other week where I just have to do like a little video, just teaching about how to, you know, look at your relationship with money differently but um also yeah i do shadow work at the moment i have actually been doing a lot of ancestral shadow work through astrology with people in relationship with money through astrology so that's what um i've really been doing at the moment so if you're into doing that get in touch with me especially as we've got the retrograde till september so this is a really great time to relearn and reassess and reevaluate a lot of the core beliefs or structures that we have in our mind um but if you want to have she came to me the other day and she asked me to use electional astrology because she has a wedding so i'm currently at the ideal date for her wedding which is oh, what also do astrology. so yeah, yeah there's so many radical things you can do with astrology that i love so um yeah absolutely get in touch with me and as i said you can also find my music page through manifa walker um i haven't got my album out yet because obviously the pandemic of course but i've actually had the time to practice everything and write everything out. and the name of the album is called tales of promethea as well Beautiful. So let's end with this. I saw uh, a tweet that made me think of you specifically because you are such an accomplished pianist. That was, um, if you want to learn how to play the piano, you practice and get better at it. You don't expect to be good at it right away. If you're not good at supporting Black people, practice practice yes. and if you're bad it, it, at it keep yes. practicing until yes. you get good at it yes and i said this the other day as well i said if you're if you're thinking that you know the black community wants perfect allies you're wrong people are not perfect we're not perfect people are going to make mistakes but what matters is that you're committed you care you give a crap and you show up it doesn't matter if you make mistakes along the way because everyone's going to make mistakes along the way, even black people as well. But if we're all committed into raising our vibrations to a higher one where love is the primary tool and not fear, hey, please keep coming. Please be committed. <laughs> and I'm just going to repeat that and then we'll sign off where love is the... 
primary tool and not fear. Where love is the primary tool and not fear. Thank you so much, Monifa. You know, we've had you on the show, what, three, four times at this point. And, yeah, I and love I, coming back every time. I love you guys. <laughs> and, yeah, and I love talking to you. I always learn so much, whether we're on the podcast or just talking amongst ourselves. Thank you again so much, Monifa. And of it course, was a pleasure. And thank you for having me as well. I mean, thank you to, to you and Risa for making such an amazing platform for, you know, missing riches. I mean, I can't thank <laughs> enough you know thank you so much and listeners of course all the links that we mentioned and i think you mentioned mentioned uh leila saad and uh a rachel couple other cargill books well. yeah so yeah rachel cargill very good so yeah i'll put all those links in the show notes plus every way that you can get in touch with monifa if you want to pay her for her services <laughs> <laughs> thanks again monifa have a thank great you. day and we'll talk again soon for sure. absolutely lots of love you must be a witch